0: If you have your copy of God's Word, let's turn together this morning to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 21. Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. If you found your way there, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. And there were about 5,000 men who ate, besides women and children. You can be seated. As we come to this text this morning, we find here, perhaps again, one of the very familiar passages in the Bible. As a young child, you learn about several stories in the Bible through Sunday school classes. You learn about Noah and the ark and Jonah and the whale and the feeding of the 5,000 is perhaps one of those uh, most often told stories of Jesus and His miracles in ministry uh, in, in Sunday school. And so it's a very powerful testimony of the work of Jesus Christ in His obedience to God, but it's a very powerful picture uh, of when Jesus is, is so boldly and powerfully proclaiming His deity as the Son of God. It's the only story we find, the only miracle of Jesus that is found in all four gospel accounts. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell this story. Now, if you've read through a synopsis or a Uh, a parallel of of the Gospels, you'll find that oftentimes uh, one Gospel writer may have a story alone or two may have it, but this is the only one we find where all four Gospel writers point to and tell this story from their perspective, which again helps us to understand how important this story is to who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do and what we find here in this passage what we've been looking for uh, over the past several weeks as we've been studying through the last several chapters is this pivotal turning point in the ministry of jesus where he he transitions from teaching and preaching and doing most of his proclamation to the people, where now he's transitioning to his disciples. He has given this offer of of salvation, has given this offer of the gospel of who he is to the people of Israel, and what he has found time after time after time is just complete rejection. There were some who followed after Him in true likeness of who He was, but most of them were only following Him because of the miracles He was performing. They were only following Jesus because of what they thought they could get out of Him. And ultimately, when times got tough, they would end up walking away. They wouldn't commit themselves fully to what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so now Jesus is transitioning, and He's, he's transitioning His ministry to focus more on His disciples and preparing them for what's to come. We know what's going to happen. Jesus is going to have to go to the cross and die. And so Jesus knows he's got to prepare his disciples for what's getting ready to take place. These men have committed their lives to Jesus. Uh, They've been following him around in, in the wilderness and in the dark places and in the good places, in the highs and the lows of ministry. And they've been obedient to do what he has called them to do. And he knows that when he goes to the cross and dies, it's going to be difficult for them. And he wants to prepare them. And even though he told them over and over again what he was going to have to do, they still didn't get it. They still couldn't wrap their minds around what Jesus was telling them, so, that, so much so that even after He died, they, they thought that all was lost. But what they didn't realize was that the things that Jesus was teaching them, even though they didn't see it in the moment, would come to bear fruit after He was gone. They would understand the truth. They would understand who He was and what He was promising them and instructing them. And this is exactly what we find here, even in the midst of the feeding of the 5,000. So just a quick reminder, last week we talked about John the Baptist, and it's important to go back to that because Matthew mentions that there in verse 13. He says, now when Jesus heard about John. Now again, chapter 14 begins with that thing that Herod the Tetrarch, this wicked ruler, was there ruling over the region in which Jesus was ministering. And he heard the news about Jesus. He, he had not really paid attention to the ministry of Jesus. He not really cared about the ministry of Jesus. But as the miracles began to become more and more numerous, and the people become more and more anticipatory of what Jesus is going to do next, and following him around from place to place, it made its way back to Herod. And he understood what was taking place, and he began to hear this, and Herod assumed, because he had already put John the Baptist to death, he said, "Well, John the Baptist must have come back from the dead. And actually, the book of Luke tells us that that Herod sought out. He wanted to meet with Jesus, and Jesus knew that this was not the time for him and Herod to have any type of conversation. He knew it was not the time for any of those things to take place. So the scripture tells us that when Jesus heard about John, he heard about John's death, and he heard about all that was taking place, that he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. Now, where did Jesus go? Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee from where he was over to the, he was on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. He's crossing over now to the northeast corner of the sea. And there's a little town called Bethsaida. And the interesting thing about that, it was when he moved from, from where he was to over to Bethsaida, he left the, um, the region of Herod Antipas, the, of the, the tetriarch region of, of Herod, over to the region of Philip which was, we, as we discovered last week, was, was Herod's brother. And Philip was a much more congenial ruler. He was not uh, as angry and as wicked as his brother was. And so Jesus is moving to this other place. Ultimately, for one reason, he was tired. You know, we oftentimes forget and we think about the ministry of Jesus that Jesus was totally God and totally man. And so although he was God, he still experienced all the things that we experience as humans. And what happens when we go day after day after day working on a job without a lot of rest? We get tired. And Jesus experienced this same type of tiredness. He he understood what it meant to be exhausted, and Jesus was exhausted. He had been preaching and teaching and healing miracles. And and you remember we've talked earlier before about when Jesus was performing a miracle, there was this, not only in the physical, but even in the spiritual, this energy that had to go out of him as he was healing people. Jesus, in this moment, was tired. And he needed a place to rest. He needed a place to get away for just a little bit of uh, of time and, and respite and to get alone with the Father and to pray, as the other gospel writers point out. And I think it's important to note just in this moment before we even get into the context of the sermon this morning, but if Jesus needed time to get away and to rest and to be with the Father, how much more so do we need time to rest and to get away and to be with the Father? Jesus needed to get away from all the distractions, even sometimes away from his disciples and to get alone by himself and to pray and to worship and to be with God, to, to just have that recovery time that he needed. And far too often as human beings, especially in 21st century America, we do not do this. We're always so distracted. We're always so entertained by other things. And listen, to rest is not to sit down in front of the TV and watch a movie. That's not what it means to rest. Now, you can rest in in a certain regard for that, but that's not what the Scripture is pointing out here. To rest is to get away of all the distractions and spend time in God's Word. To spend time hearing from the Father. To spend time praying and talking to the Father and allowing God to rejuvenate us. It's something that we so desperately need, I think, especially in the time in which we live. But so here you find Jesus. And all his disciples were gathered there. And now the disciples, Luke tells us, had just returned from a ministry journey. Jesus had sent them out in power and authority to go out through all the region and to preach the gospel. Now, we don't know how long they had been gone, but probably for a, for a good period of time. And they had arrived back to Jesus and were now getting ready to give the report. So not only was Jesus tired, the disciples were tired. They'd been out preaching. They'd been out ministering. And for any of you who have done ministry before, whether it's in the context of a preaching ministry or missions work or even being out on the street, ministry is taxing upon you, not only physically, but also spiritually. And so here are the disciples, here are Jesus, and all of them, they just need some time to get away and to rest. But it was impossible for Jesus to do so because everywhere he went, the people were. He could not get away from the people. So Jesus says, well, let's get in the boat. Let's cross over to the other side and there we'll have a place where we can rest. And so the scripture says that they got into the boat and they went over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But notice what happens there in verse 13. It says, and when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities." So the disciples and Jesus get into the boat, and as soon as the people see which direction they're sailing in, they know exactly where Jesus is going. They say, he's going over to the northeast corner. He's going to Bethsaida. Let's just get over there before he gets in. The scripture says that some of them made it there before he even got there in the boat. It was a short journey just around the edge of the island, I mean, around the edge of the lake. And so Jesus and his disciples were going in a straight line, but these people were so desperate to see Jesus or so desiring to see Jesus that you can almost imagine some of them breaking out into a full-scale run to make their way around the edge of the lake in order to get to where Jesus was going. It shows us something about the heart of man. Because remember, not all these people were following Jesus for the right reasons, but men, they were excited about it. And sometimes we see that in our own culture, don't we? We see people who are excited about certain things, about God or about who Jesus is. But when it comes down to the hard times, they walk away. Because it wasn't about what God was going to do on the inside of them and transforming them. It was about what can I get from God? What, what can I receive? from I mean, What can God give to me to make my life better? And, and unfortunately, that's what's taught in so many churches, right? If you come to God, you might get rich. If you come to God, your marriage might get better. If you come to God, then all these things. And so people come to God with all these expectations of these things that God is going to give to them or do for them without considering the most important thing, really the only thing that we need God for, to do for us, and that's to, to forgive us of our sins and to make us right with Him. So all these people are so excited. They're just breaking into a run to get over to the other side of the sea, so much so that when Jesus gets there, now already there's this large crowd gathered. So there's six things I want us to look at this morning that just kind of walks through this passage in order. The first thing that I want us to notice is the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus. And that's found here in verses 13 and 14. We've already looked at verse 13. But notice what Jesus says. It says, when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them, and he healed their sick. Now again, Jesus is tired. We, we can't miss that point because this is so important to see. Jesus was ready to rest. He was, he was desperate to get away and to find this time. And the reason we understand how serious this was is because Jesus was a man of ministry and of obedience to the Father. Everywhere you went, Jesus was always ministering. From early in the morning to late at night, Jesus was giving them Himself to do the work of God, to do the work of the ministry. And it seemingly, at no point was He really ever really just kind of saying, okay, I can't do this here, or I can't do this. So we know that when Jesus decides to take these times of respite, that they're desperately needed. It's something that He knew He needed to do, but yet the people would not relent. But Jesus says when He saw them, that he felt compassion for them. Now, I want you to put yourself in that situation for a moment, right? You're really tired. You've been working for days on end, early in the morning, late at night, and you're just ready to get away for a little rest. And all of a sudden, you can't rest. I think most of us would probably have told this crowd of people, listen, guys, enough's enough. And we've been doing this for days on end. I just need a little bit of time to rest, and then we'll continue this but that's not the heart of Jesus at all. In fact, we've seen this before, right? Jesus never turns away those who come to him. Jesus never sends those people away because anytime they come, Jesus knows that there's a need and he wants to meet those needs. Remember, even the disciples tried to send away the children that came to Jesus, right? Because we can't bother the master, leave the master alone. And he says, let the children come to me because there was a need that needed to be met. The word here, for used for compassion, is the same word we've seen used before, where it talks about that compassion that's that's in the inner part of the being, where the inner part of the of the gut. It's just being moved totally, not just an emotional, uh, like a superficial type of compassion, not just looking at them and saying, "Oh well, how how sorry I must feel for them." But Jesus was moved deeply on the inside. He, he saw their needs, and in fact, uh, the, the scripture tells us that, or Mark tells us. Um, That the same idea that we've already looked at before in the book of Matthew, that Jesus was moved with compassion because they were sheep without a shepherd. And we know Jesus is the great shepherd. He's the one who Psalm 23 tells us will care for all of our needs and take care of us and protect us. And that's exactly what a shepherd was supposed to do. A shepherd was the one who guided the sheep. He took them and gave them clean water to drink and made sure they had good food to eat. And he was the one who protected them when enemies came, when, whether it be a, a, a bear or a lion or whatever it may be. The shepherd was the one who stood there with his staff and he would guard the sheep and protect them and make sure that they were safe. Now, when Jesus looks out at these people and he says that they're sheep without a shepherd, what he means was, was these were people who needed spiritual guidance, They needed to know the truth about who God was. And they had people who were supposed to be shepherds for them. They had the Pharisees. They had the scribes. These men who were supposed to be teaching them the truth of God's word. And yet these men weren't doing anything at all. They were not being good shepherds. They were not leading the people and teaching the people and carrying and protecting the people. And so these people were just wondering. And the most dangerous thing for a sheep to be is without a shepherd. Because it cannot protect itself. It's just out wandering in the middle of nowhere. Has nowhere to care, no one to care for it, no one to protect it, no one to feed it, no one to make sure it's not drinking uh, dirty, tainted water. And so as Jesus looked out upon these people, He was moved with inner, just gut-wrenching compassion because He saw these people are desperate to know who God is. Some of these people are desperate to understand truth, but they have no one to tell them. They have no one to give them that guidance. And so this is the reason that Jesus doesn't send them away. It says he heals their sick. Now Mark tells us that before Jesus began to heal the sick and before he performed this mighty miracle of of feeding the 5,000, that he began to teach them many things. And Luke, in fact, correlates with that. He says that he began to speak to them about the kingdom of God. Now, you wonder here, why doesn't Matthew talk about Jesus teaching in this moment? Well, again, let's remember, why is Matthew writing his book? He's writing his book to speak to a Jewish audience, to prove to them who the Messiah is through his miracles, through his power, through his fulfilling of prophecy. So for Matthew's purpose, it wasn't so much important about Jesus teaching in this moment as it was that he healed the sick, because he wanted to prove to a Jewish audience that he had the power of God. But it would not be good for us this morning to overlook what the other gospel writers teach us is that before Jesus did anything, He stood up and He proclaimed the kingdom of God. And He proclaimed who God was and He preached the gospel unto them. Because what was the most important thing that this crowd needed? Many of them would have thought they needed to be healed from their sickness, right? Because when we're sick... That's the only thing really that's on our mind, right? If we have some kind of disease or some kind of ailment that we're facing, that's really the only thing we can think about in this moment. So for all these people who are coming to Jesus, they're coming because they want to be healed physically. But Jesus knows and understands that the most important thing that they need is to be healed spiritually. And so he preaches the gospel unto them. He teaches, Mark says, many things to them. And then it says that he healed their sick. So Jesus was not one. He understood the power that God had given them, and he understood how using that miracle-working power bore testimony of who he was. And so he did both things. He preached the gospel unto them, and he healed their sick. This is the heart of Jesus, a heart of compassion, a heart that desires to teach those the Word and the truth of God who need it, a desire to heal those who are sick and heal those who have even physical ailments. And there's also a desire here that Jesus is to provide even for their more physical needs to eat. Now, it's interesting in the book of John, if you were to read this passage about the feeding of the 5,000, just immediately after this passage, uh, John relates the preaching of Jesus in his first of the I am statements. And this first I am statement was, I am the bread of life. Now, I think it's important for us this morning to turn over to the book of John. So let's turn over real quickly to the book of John, chapter six, because what Jesus is saying here is in relation to this healing miracle, I mean, in relation to this mighty miracle. And it's important for us to read it this morning because it's going to help set context for what Jesus is teaching his disciples and teaching us through this passage. John chapter 6. Let's look at verse 26. It says Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes. But for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on Him the Father God has set His seal. Therefore they said to Him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So they said to Him, What do you do for a sign that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Nothing is very clear. Jesus had just finished this mighty miracle, and now his disciples are asking about who he is, and he refers to himself as the bread of life. He refers to himself as not only seeking after the physical bread that provides nourishment for us for a moment, but seeking him as the true spiritual bread of life that will cause us to never hunger again. Because Jesus has a heart of compassion. He has a heart for those sheep without a shepherd. Now the second thing I want you to notice is the need of man. Look at verse 15. It said, when it was evening, and this was about typically late afternoon, early evening, what we would call it, consider evening. It says, the disciples came to Him and said, this place is desolate and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away that they may go into the village to buy food for themselves you have this large crowd of people who are gathered here and we always hear this as the feeding of the 5000 but if you look down to verse 21 you says that there were about 5000 men who ate besides women and children he so had 5,000 men, and again, just according to culture, this is how they counted crowds. They didn't count the women, they didn't count the children, they just counted the men. So you have 5,000 men who are here seated, listening to Jesus teach, and listening to Him preach, and watching Him heal. And let's just consider for the fact that each man had a wife, and they each had one child. You can very easily go from 5,000 to 15,000 people. In fact, many commentators estimate that there were probably between fifteen and 20,000 people gathered here, listening to Jesus as he taught and proclaimed and healed. Now, if you're out in the middle of nowhere, because where Jesus was was outside the city of Bethsaida in, the, in this kind of rolling hillside region, and you had a couple of smaller towns who were close by, but they were really really out in the middle of nowhere. And if you've got fifteen to 20,000 people, what happens is it gets later in the day. People begin to get hungry. Now, we use the term hangry in, in our culture, that when you get hungry, you start getting agitated. The fifteen to 20,000 hangry people is going to be quite a problem to deal with. Because they're sitting outside, right? They're sitting in the sun, and they've been sitting and listening and, and listening to Jesus preach. So there's a, an obvious recognizable need. They're hungry. and So they're trying to decide what to do. And so disciples have recognized this need, right? They're, they're men of, of at least astute a enough recognition to look around and say, Jesus, there's a lot of people here, and we don't have anything to feed them. And it's getting late, and the cities are far away, and it's going to get dark soon. And if we don't send these people away, not only are they going to be hungry, it's going to be dark, it's going to be late, and there's not going to be anywhere that we can even send them to get any food. So the disciples' answers to the question was to send them away. Go, you go do something else. Send them away so that they can go get something to eat. The physical need was great for hunger. Send them away is the answer. But there's also a recognition here as we look at this passage, understanding Jesus, referring to Himself as the bread of life, that there's not only a physical need that these people have, but there's a spiritual need. And the spiritual need is that they need to know not just physical bread, but they need to know the bread of life. In order for them to know the bread of life, we can't send them away. Ministry has to happen with people. You can't minister the gospel to somebody from a faraway distance. You can't minister to the gospel to them by saying, well, I hope somebody else takes care of this problem, which is exactly what the disciples were trying to do with the physical need. We'll send them away and somebody else can take care of the problem. So there's a great need here. Man needs to be fed physically, but more importantly, man needs to be fed spiritually. We look around at our world, and we see this recognizably everywhere we look. We look at our nation today, and we see people who need to be fed spiritually. It's becoming ever more evident. You know, for most of us in this room, for a lot of us, we can even remember, even some of, our, uh, some of those of you who are younger, We can remember a time in our nation where our nation still looked towards the gospel and looked towards Christianity as a thing to be respected, even if you didn't believe it. You might not have believed in God. You might not have went to church, but there was still a respect, a level of honor that was given to the gospel and to Christianity. But we have lost that in our culture. And so we have people who have grown up, many of us who probably know people who have grown up in a home who they've never gone to church. When I was younger, almost every person I knew had at least gone to church on occasion, right? They had gone with their grandparents at Easter or Christmas time. You know, their parents took them to church once or twice a year. They'd at least gone to a church on at least a couple of occasions. But we have people who are our neighbors and our co-workers who have never set foot in a church in the entirety of their life. That's astonishing. But what it helps us to see is that there are people who are desperately in need They need the spiritual food. They need the bread of life. And so what we have to understand here is it's not the thing to send them away, but the thing is to go to them with the compassion in the heart of Jesus to do exactly what Jesus is going to teach His disciples here in this moment. There's a great need. But when we recognize the need, the third thing we have to see and recognize is the inability of man. Look at verses 16 and 17. Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. Can you imagine the disciples in this moment? You know, they, they, they thought they were being really smart because they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus is just caught up in the moment. He's been ministering. You know, We understand this. And it's like, Jesus, we understand how much you love these people and how much you want to help them. But here's the problem. 20,000 people are here. We have nothing to feed them. Let's send them away. This is it. We, we've, we've put our heads together. We've come up with this great plan. Let's send them away. They can get some food, and maybe tomorrow we can come back and minister to them again. And Jesus looks at them and says, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Have you ever been put in a situation where you knew what you were asked to do was impossible? And this is exactly what the disciples are facing here because they look around and they say, well, here are 20,000 people and we don't have anything. The only thing that they could scrounge up and find from a young boy was two fish and five loaves of bread. In the other gospel accounts, they they began to talk about how much it would take to feed all these people. They said, Jesus, even if we had 200 denarii, we couldn't feed all of these people. If we had a month's wages, we couldn't round up enough. And even if we had the money, where are we going to get it? There's no towns close enough. There's no resources close enough. Even if we had the money, Jesus, how could we feed this many people? But this is exactly what Jesus wanted them to recognize. He wanted them to recognize that they could not do anything. They were totally unable to solve this problem. And that's what God wants us to recognize. That we're totally unable to solve the problem of sin in this world. We're totally unable to solve the problems that people have. What do we have to do? We have to depend totally and completely on the power of God. It's the only way we can do anything when it comes to ministry. It's the only way we can do anything when it comes to church. It's the only way we can do anything when it comes to mission work or evangelism. The only way we can do any of that is to to complete total and desperate trust on the power of God. And this is exactly what Jesus wanted them to recognize. He wanted them to recognize they were going to have to trust Him. They were going to have to look to Him in this moment for His power and for His glory and for His resources if they were going to be able to answer this problem. They couldn't feed them physically and they could not feed them spiritually without the power of God working and operating in their lives. Jesus is emphasizing here. He says, you give them something to eat. And they said, we don't have anything to give them. We don't have anything to offer them, Jesus. Jesus. And this is the moment that all of us have to come to in our lives. This is the moment when we are prepared to be used by God. When we run to the place where we recognize that we can't do it ourselves. And sometimes that takes longer for other people than it does some. Because sometimes we think that because of our prestige because of our ability, because of our charismaticness, because of our popularity, or because of the things that we have that we just naturally come to us, that we say, oh, well, I can go out and do all these things, right? And there's a certain amount that sometimes people can do by personality. But ultimately, we'll all fall apart without the power of God. So here are the disciples, and you can just imagine the 12 of them just looking back and forth and trying to figure out exactly what Jesus wants them to do. Because they don't have the money. Even if they did, they don't have the resource to go get anything. There's nowhere close by they can go buy this amount of food at that short a time. And so in the inability of man, we also see the power of God. The power of God. Look at verses Start back again with verse 17 and then down through the first part of verse 19. They said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food. And breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples. Only five loaves and two fish. I can't remember who said it first, but the saying is true that little is much when God is involved. Now, who would look at five pieces of bread? Now, when we think about bread, we, we often think about a loaf of bread, right? We go to the grocery store. If we're going to buy bread, we're buying a whole loaf of bread. So in, in your minds this morning, I know that it was for me for a long time when I heard this passage. I thought about you know, five you know, rather large-sized pieces of bread and then two fish. But the bread that Jesus is talking about here, the the, the bread that was common in those times was not large loaves of bread. It was flat cakes uh, about this big around, which correlates to the story of, remember, when Jesus is in the wilderness and Satan looks to him, he says, you know, turn these stones into bread. The reason it was is because these flat stones laying on the ground looked like the, the typical types and pieces of bread that people would eat in that time. So you have two small fish and you have five small pieces of bread. Nobody in their right mind would look at that and say, we can feed 20,000 people with this amount of food. And you wonder why. You almost think that even when the disciples mentioned this to Jesus, that they were still trying to find a way out, right? Jesus, all we have are two tiny pieces of fish and five small pieces of bread. This is all we have. We've got to send these people away. But Jesus says, no, bring them to me. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us who actually handed them to Jesus, but you can imagine as He took these pieces of bread and these fish, and He held them in their hands, that the disciples are still looking in amazement, saying, what is He going to do? And so, holding the bread and the fish, He orders the people to sit down on the grass. In Jesus' time, when people began to eat, they didn't eat sitting up in the way that we did. They actually laid down. They reclined at the table. And when you see the picture of, of, the, uh, of the Last Supper, the most famous painting, that was not, a, not at all how they would have been sitting. They would have been lying down. They would have had a table that was low to the ground and they all laid down around the table and that's how they ate. It was a typical style of eating. So Jesus says all the people to sit down, to lay down upon the hillsides. And the scripture tells us that he gathered them by fifties and hundreds. So you can imagine, I mean, just in your mind, this rolling green hillside. And Jesus has these people to lay down As they began to prepare the food, it reminds you of what the psalmist says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. So many commentators pointed out what a beautiful picture this must have been because the garments that the people wore in those days were often brightly colored. So you have this beautiful green hillside, and you have all these brightly colored garments and all these people laying down. It almost looked like just looking out over a field of flowers. And here Jesus has them to lie down in the green pastures as he begins to prepare to feed them. So He takes the bread and the fish. And the Scripture tells us that He looks up towards heaven and He blessed the food. Now, why would God need to bless the food, right? This is is God in the flesh. This is the Son of God. Why does He need to bless the food? Well, it's just this recognition of the provision of God. When we pray over our meals at breakfast or lunch or dinner, we're we're not proclaiming a blessing ourselves. We're, We're blessing God thanking Him for the provision of those things that we're about to eat. Because all of it comes from Him. It doesn't matter how hard you work. You, you can be the hardest worker out there. Your food comes to your table by the provision of God Almighty. Your provision for your house or your car, everything you have, comes to us by the hand of God. And so Jesus here is acknowledging. He says, God, you have given us this food to eat here in this moment. And we are thanking you and praising you for your provision. So he blesses the food and he begins to break the loaves. Now, oftentimes people talk about this. Well, when did, the, when did it happen? When did the miracle happen? Did it happen as Jesus uh, began to break them up? Or did it happen as the, he put them into baskets and as the disciples carried them out, as they reached in, it just kept multiplying? We, we don't know. But all we do know is that as Jesus sent out the disciples with the loaves and the fish, that they began to go out and the fish never ran out and the bread never ran out. And so this mighty miracle has occurred. Now, it's, it's, it's strange to see if you read how oftentimes there are liberal scholars who try to erase away this miracle of Jesus. And they try to point to different things. Uh, one, in fact, one well-known liberal scholar said that what happens here was, was not actual a feeding of the 5,000. It was more of a, of a sacramental type of miracle where each person just got a small little fragment, but God blessed it in such a way that they ate this small little fragment and they felt like they had eaten a whole lot but that's contrary to what the Scripture says, because the Scripture says in verse 20, and we'll look at this more in a moment, it says they all ate and were satisfied. So this wasn't just some type of psychological thing that was taking place. This was an actual physical miracle. Jesus truly was taking five small pieces of bread, five small fish, and multiplying it enough to feed almost 20,000 people. You see, that's what happens when you begin to deny the sufficiency of Scripture. If you don't believe the truth of God's Word, you're going to begin to have to try to look for other ways to explain these miracles away. But brothers and sisters, how hard would it be for the God who created the universe simply by speaking words to multiply five pieces of fish and two bread? It's not hard at all. If God can create the universe simply by speaking words in six days, it's nothing for this God to multiply This amount of food. This is the power of God. We see that He blessed the food, He broke it, and He handed it out to His disciples. Now the next thing I want you to notice here, and this is important for us this morning, is the agents of God. The agents of God. Look at verse 19 in the second part. It says, He blessed the food and breaking the loaves. He gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowd. Remember what Jesus had said? He said, you give them something to eat. He said, Jesus, this is impossible. We we can't do this. They recognized their utter dependence upon God. And when they recognized their utter dependence upon God, and God moved in a miraculous way, then He gave the food to the disciples. And what did the disciples do? They gave them something to eat. They were able to do what God had commanded them to do after they recognized their dependence upon Him. It's the same thing that it comes to us. God has commanded us to go and to preach the gospel. We can't go and preach the gospel in our own strength. We can't go and minister to people in our own strength. But once we recognize our dependence upon God, we can go and be His agents to this world and to take the gospel forth and to see people's lives transformed by the power of the gospel because He chooses to use His people. Jesus didn't have to use the disciples in this moment, but he chose to for a very specific reason. Because he was showing them what he wanted to do through them, through the course of their ministry. As Jesus multiplied the food, he could have just handed it down himself. He could have just walked around this entire field and said, here, I'm going to show you who I am, and multiplied this food and handed it to the crowd, and it would have been just as miraculous, just as powerful. Jesus could have blessed the food and prayed over it. And he said, okay, everyone, now look under your blanket and there's the food you need. He could have provided it that way. Why does Jesus here so specifically and why is it pointed out by the gospel writers that he gave it to the disciples and had them to go out and to deliver the food? Again, because he was showing them, I want to work through you to accomplish my purposes. I want to work through you to accomplish the things that God has sent me to do. So now here the disciples are recognizing that when they are unable to do anything, that God is able to do everything and that He desires to use them to accomplish His purposes. The last thing that I want you to see here in this passage is the the provision of God. And that's found in the last two verses. It says that they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. And there were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. They all ate and were satisfied. There was no hunger left. In this crowd of 20,000 people, not one person walked away hungry that day. They were all met to complete full and satisfaction. When somebody comes to Christ desiring of Him, they never walk away unsatisfied. They never walk away hungry. They come to Him and are completely filled. And again, this goes back to what Jesus is saying as Him as the bread of life there in the book of John. Come to me and eat the bread of life so that you will never be hungry again. He says physical bread will only satisfy a moment. He said, but spiritual bread will satisfy you for the rest of your life and for all eternity. This is what you need. You need the spiritual bread. And so there's this beautiful picture that Jesus is painting here of himself as this provision. He's physically feeding people in this moment. But what he's teaching his disciples, he says, I'm going to talk to you about the bread of life in just a little bit. And I want you to have in your mind a physical example of this. That I'm going to feed all of these people with bread and not one of them is going to be left hungry or or unsatisfied. He is the bread of life for people. And this is the provision of God. But there's something else too important to notice there in that passage. Not only did he fulfill the needs of all those who were gathered around, and he meets the needs of all who come to him desiring to know him in repentance and faith. But notice what verse 20 says. That they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve full baskets. I don't believe that's an accident. It wasn't that Jesus overdid the miracle. But Jesus, again, was teaching his disciples something. He was teaching them that not only do I take care of the needs of these people, he says, I'm going to take care of you. There's 12 baskets, one for each disciple. And he's showing here the provision that we've looked at already through the Scriptures. Remember when we looked at Matthew chapter 6? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He's showing the disciples, listen, if you do what I've called you to do, you're not going to have to worry about what you're going to need to eat because I'm going to provide for you. And the same thing is true for us, beloved. If we are obedient to do what God has called us to do, if we're willing to follow Him, to recognize our dependency upon Him, to recognize that we must do what He has asked us to do, and to recognize that He wants to use us as His agents to go out into the world, God will provide for our needs. God will take care of the things that we desire. Now, it's interesting to note the bread that, that Jesus was referring to here, the bread that was common today, was barley bread. It wasn't the most expensive bread, and perhaps it might not have even been the most tasty bread compared to everything that was there, but it was more than enough to satisfy the need, more than enough to satisfy the nourishment. And so here Jesus is saying, he says, I'm going to always ensure that you have exactly what you need in this moment. Because oftentimes people will abuse those passages and say, well, seek you first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you, means that God desires for you to live in prosperity and abundance. That's not what the Scripture is teaching in Saul. The Scripture is teaching us that God will give us what we need in that moment. What we need in that moment may only be a piece of fish and a piece of barley bread. What we need in that moment may only be a small, insignificant thing, but He will carry us through. We can look at the the stories of history are replete with example of example after example of God providing and caring for His people. Of where in desperate moments, God's people were without what they needed. And they prayed and God provided. Sometimes it was just enough provision for the next day, but they trusted God and He provided the day after that and the day after that, and the day after that. So what we have to be reminded of is that God is always going to care for us. He's always going to be the remainder left over in those situations. There's always going to be the 12 basketfuls for those who are His people. God cares and provides for us as we live our lives in obedience to Him. And I think it's important to recognize in the time in which we live. Because we can be worried about what's going to happen. We can be worried about the things around us. Just this past week, a pastor in Canada by the name of James Coates was arrested and put into jail. And I thought about that this week. I thought about what would happen if I were arrested and put into jail. I'm sure I could annoy the jailers by singing and all those kinds of things as Paul did. But that's not my concern. My concern wasn't about me. My concern was about my family. What would happen to my family, right? You know, how, how would they be provided for? How would they be taken care of? As I'm studying this passage, I was reminded that God has promised that He cares for us and He will provide for us in those circumstances. That we don't have to fear those kinds of things because God has said, I will provide, I will give, provision for those needs. Brothers and sisters, as we look at this passage, there is a wonderful miracle to be observed here where Jesus is so boldly proclaiming and declaring His deity as He performs this this mighty physical miracle of feeding 20,000 people with two small fish and five loaves of bread. But there's a far more deeper spiritual thing to understand here that Jesus is the bread of life. That He provides nourishment to those who need it. That He provides food for the soul that cannot be found anywhere else. And He's promised if you'll come to me and eat the bread of life, you will never walk away unsatisfied. And that because I'm the bread of life, it's not just in that first moment that you're fed and you're filled, but you will be filled for the rest of your life. And I provide for you. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, I know I've been so encouraged this week by this passage by the truth that is proclaimed here, of Your provision, of Your care, of Your nourishment, of Your strength. And Lord, I pray this morning, if there's anybody here in this room who they've never tasted of the bread of life, they've never come to You and asked to taste of who You are as this true and certain and lasting provision that today would be that day.